Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week. We will not tolerate anti-Semitism or any form of racism in our party. Labour engulfed in a race row. Again. Your political secretary, Stephen Parkinson, was the person that's responsible for outing the Vote Leave whistleblower. Questions for Downing Street over the Vote Leave spending row. I wanted to stay in the EU, but like I feel like it's just been happening for so long and I feel like let's just get it done and over with. And we asked the people what they want from Brexit. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I'm joined by Ned Flanders-Simons. How are you, Ned? Oh, God. <laughs> Good. I was all right. Yeah. Now, doing school nicknames. Are Paul, we? Lord of War. How are you, Paul? I'm fine. Thank you very Good. much. And no one else. The girls aren't <laughs> here this week, so you stuck with... Uh, Start with the three amigos, I'm afraid, but let's push on, shall we? Um, another week, another row about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. This latest episode kicked off when it emerged Jeremy Corbyn had defended the presence of an anti-Semitic mural in East London on the grounds of free speech in 2012. After the Facebook comment resurfaced, Corbyn said he did not look closely enough at the image before defending it, but now accepts it is anti-Semitic. The incident was deemed to be one step too far for the Board of Deputies of British Jews and the Jewish Leadership Council, who held a protest outside Parliament proclaiming enough is enough. Here's Labour's Wedge Streeting. Unbelievably, there is a counter-protest to the Board of Deputies and the Jewish Leadership Council taking place this evening in Jeremy Corbyn's name. They are, st- they are stating they are there to support Jeremy Corbyn. Well, the least that Jeremy Corbyn can do now is pick up his phone and in 280 characters or less make it clear that those people coming to Parliament this evening should stand down, that they do not speak for him. But there's more. On Wednesday evening, Disputes Committee Chief Christine Shawcroft quit her role after she opposed disciplinary action against a council candidate embroiled in a Holocaust denial row. She does, however, stay on Labour's NEC. Here's Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell on Sky News. We thought we'd put in, as a result of the Chakrabarti report, a proper system that hasn't been implemented effectively. So we've been open about this and said this is not good enough. A new general secretary is coming in. She will immediately, this is her first task, she will immediately bring forward an action programme. We'll implement it. But let me make this absolutely, absolutely clear. We will not tolerate anti-Semitism or any form of racism in our party. And we will be ruthless in rooting it out. And that's what we'll do. Well, there's a lot to unpack, isn't there, Mr. Paul Moore, on this <laughs> That's one? Why this podcast exists. Should we should we start at the beginning or should we start at the, at the end and go Let's backwards? Let's just dive in. Shall Let's we? just dive in. Okay. First so, how thing, bad is Labour's anti-Semitism? Ba- that's, that's 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 the big question. How bad is it? Well, um, if you take the word of people who are directly affected, for example, um, uh, Jews in London, and obviously there's a high concentration of Jews in North London, and we had a blog this week from the Labour group leader in Barnet Council, a guy called Barry Rawlings, who isn't Jewish, but lots of Labour councillors and Labour activists in Barnet are Jewish. Now, they're hoping to take that council from the Tories first time ever 
right? This is Margaret Thatcher's backyard, who a great coup for, for Labour if they can take that council in the May elections, the May 3rd elections. And he wrote for us, well, actually, he thinks Jeremy Corbyn has a blind spot on anti-Semitism. He's known him for a long, long time, for decades. They were in the union, trade, uh, trade union together. Um, and he knows that Jeremy's an anti-racist to his core. But he said he's always had a blind spot on anti-Semitism. Now, that's quite a problem. And he says, as a result, talking on the doorstep, Jewish voters in Barnet are less likely to vote Labour in that election. Now, it's it's maybe pushing it to suggest that that will cost Labour that's that that borough. Labour may well still win it despite everything, but the fact that people are so worried says just how how concerned the Jewish community are that this not been taken seriously. I think the the blind spot comment made in that blog for us the fact that was well, we published that just I think before the Christine Shawcroft revelations came out and she stepped down from the disciplinary panel, but she's still on the NEC. On, on Labour's ruling body. And Donald this morning was saying, well, it's an elected position. It's not up to the leadership to say she should quit or not. Well, they said that they told her to quit the disciplinary panel. So if you think it was bad enough to do that, why are you still OK with her sitting on the NEC? It's an elected post as well, well uh, being on the well, disciplinary sure, exactly. panel because you're elected by your fellow members. And, and I think so. it shows, that, you know, again, looking like you're not taking it seriously enough and not looking like you're taking... They keep saying, you know, we'll deal with it ruthlessly and we'll really crack down. But this again will look like they're not really taking it seriously. Let's replace the word anti-Semitism in this conversation with anti-Muslim or with anti-African. Would Jamie Corbyn be allowed to get away with having a blind spot when it came to one of those other Precisely. forms of prejudice? Yeah. No. I find it, personally, absolutely bizarre that a leader of a political party can have... A bl- now, I'll personally say, I don't believe Jeremy Corbyn is anti-Semitic, but I do believe he has a blind spot. And I do believe, unless the sentence says, and it's all the Jews' fault, he doesn't realise the bit before it was anti-Semitic. I think he just doesn't... Yeah, and I think that that's why it. maybe one of the things that actually Jeremy Corbyn could have done is to adopt, in a strange way, Tony Blair's masochism strategy. He could have actually said, right... I really am so deeply sorry about misreading and not interpreting how offensive that mural in the East End was, which did definitely depict Jews as wealthy financiers who are on the backs of the poor, exploiting people. So new world order kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, sixth form kind of The thing, fact that thinking, he didn't connect that with the very clear, long tradition of the protocols of the elders of Zion about the global Jewish conspiracy and Jewish financiers running the world. The fact he didn't make that connection suggests he should submit himself to anti anti-racism, anti-Semitic training, which is mm. organised for all the people in the Labour Party who are accused of this by the Jewish Labour movement. Now, a, a powerful symbol would have been Jeremy Corbyn holding his hand up and saying, look, I admit I, I've I'm been insensitive. I admit I need proper political education on this. And I think that's a really good point. You could say, look, I'm mortified to have, have this blind spot or to have missed it. So I'll, I want to learn. I think it's, you know, people sometimes accidentally say stuff that they don't realise the offence caused. And if you're kind of, you know, you could stand up and say, well, now teach me why it's wrong and I'll learn from it. But well, it's, it's not- a bit like, you know, you can't ever imagine, as you point, pointed out, can't imagine Jeremy Corbyn seeing uh, uh, an image which involves some sort of Tintin style, uh, Tintin in Africa, you know, uh, people depicted in the sort of watermelon smiles type thing. You can't ever imagine him okaying a gollywog um, in any kind of image. Of course, he'd instantly spot that, but he didn't instantly spot that this was such a deeply, deeply offensive image. And really crucial point about that image is it had nothing to do with Israel, not a scintilla of a reference to Zionism or Israel. It was pure anti-Semitism. And that's why I think this case has been so, so 
emotional for a lot of people in the Jewish community. And I was at that that rally on Monday night, and it was a really emotional moment, actually, because I've seen lots and lots of demonstrations in Parliament Square, but you've never seen a community look so solid, so sort of... Um, defiant and upset and it was really interesting had a series of Labour MPs who felt it was their duty to be there and there's a whole other raft of problems with the fact that them even being there is a problem for some people in the Labour Party. You, you mentioned <coughs> watermelon smiles there and we'll come back to that but what in terms of the politics of Jeremy Corbyn on this you said he maybe should have you know thrown himself you know begged for forgiveness you know educate me all that kind of stuff if he had done all this on Monday when this protest was planned then it might have kind of killed the story a little bit. He would have had a day of bad headlines and moved on. But because he drags it out and then he doesn't apologise properly, then he has to give a false statement and then he finally gives an interview to the Jewish Chronicle a few days later and he drags it out a week. Surely, that just from a purely sort of real politics point of view, get it all out of the way in one go. Does this show the naivety of people around him, do you think? Well, I think it shows a lack of um, strategy. I mean, the letter he came out with in the end was a really, really good letter. It, it was his most comprehensive denunciation of everything that the Jewish uh, community has been really worried about. The link between Zionism and uh, anti- anti-Semitism, the, the constant references that somehow um, Palestinians are Israel's Jews. They're the new Jews. That is so deeply offensive that a lot of people on the left don't think it's offensive. They think it's perfectly legitimate to make that link, but it is deeply, deeply offensive. You can criticise Israel for what it does as Israel, but to suggest that somehow they've got a special duty, they should show some guilt because of the way they've been suddenly granted a country because of the Holocaust is extraordinary. And and I think it's that connection, and it does lead you to think some Jewish people think that ultimately there are people around Corbyn who simply don't believe in the state of Israel. And that might be what this really boils down to. And Jeremy Corbyn says he does, but, you know, people like George Galloway certainly don't. And do does everyone around Jeremy Corbyn really believe in the state of Israel? It's worth asking the question. I'm not sure we'd be certain on that. Ned, Watermelon and Smiles, Paul mentioned a minute ago, that is something which Boris Johnson said before. There are Tory leaflets, and there's one in Havering, which mm. has been criticised by members of the Tory party for, yeah. for being, I think, you know, for being offensive. Are we holding Jeremy Corbyn up to a higher standard than other parties? Are we letting Boris Johnson get in the way of watermelon smiles and talking about other, you know, basically racist language he's used in the past? Well, I mean, if it's a good point that he has got away with saying a lot of things which are racist. Boris. I think Boris, yeah. yeah. I think the thing with Corbyn anti-Semitism is that he is the leader of the party and a lot of it's about things he has done himself. Like, it's posts he's made on Facebook, um, which he's the leader, unlike, you know, he's not, Theresa May hasn't done these kind of things. So I, don't, I think it's perfectly fair to point out stuff that he's And done. also, it's the worst kind of whataboutery to, to say somehow, mm. yes, of course, there's a greater problem on the far right with anti-Semitism. There's no question about that. And there's been this graphic that's gone around this week, which has been shared by a lot of Corbyn supporters, showing a graph that even on the centre-left, people are not as anti-Semitic as people on the centre-right. And that, and that graphic's been shared widely. But that's not the point. The point is... All of it is awful. Mm. Yeah. And you sort out of, your own... Yeah. 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 You sort right. out yeah. your own problem and you should be... Some, I mean, I, I don't agree with this thesis, but some people say that the Labour Party itself has a, such a long tradition of anti-racism, it should be even more sensitive than the Tories on this. I personally don't think it should be. I think all the parties should be equally sensitive to it. But... Um, you know what it comes back down to is a defensiveness of some on the left, not everyone on the left, but a defensiveness... Uh, and a sort of innate um, sense of 
um, grievance that somehow the media are out to get them, somehow that the centrists and the right have always been out to get them, and that finally they've got their guy as Labour leader, and this is an excuse with which to beat them. Again, that's deeply offensive to people who are, who are Jewish, but you, that, I'm sure, is what's going on. It reminds me so much of Ken Livingstone. When he was first in trouble of this whole issue, I was on the Evening Standard, and he abused an Evening Standard reporter who happened to be Jewish, um, he was waiting for him doorstepping, as we say in the trade, outside a, a city hall meeting, which happened to be actually about um, Chris Smith's um, coming out, a former Labour cabinet minister. And there's the rep- reporter doing his duty, waiting, hanging around to get a quote from, from Ken Livingstone. Ken Livingstone really takes it up front at the fact that he's being doorstepped and says, oh, you treat me like, you know, you're like a Nazi concentration camp guard. The reporter, <laughs> Fine Gold, says, actually, I'm Jewish, I find that offensive. Ken, instead of then stopping and saying, oh, I'm really, really sorry about that, does this defensive thing, this this digging in, which then he, he made it even worse by then denying it in somehow is anti-Semitic, denying for months that there was a problem and ultimately, eventually having to kind of apologise. Now, he was, you know... That, to me, that's many, many years ago, but that's actually the trait and the, the modus operandi for what's been happening. It's a defensiveness that people say, ah, oh, well, actually, you know, that's that we can't let this stand. Just finally, <clears throat> previous people involved in Huffington Post, I'm going to Mehdi Hassan, tweeted this week that um, it's possible to be appalled by anti- the anti-Semitism and also to think that some people in Labour who are opposed to Corbyn are using this as a stick to beat him with. He said, you know, it's possible to walk and chew gum, uh, misquoting a famous phrase. Um, is that right? I mean, I, I find that view, and it's not just many who has that view, lots of people have that view that actually people are, are jumping on the bandwagon with this. But people like West Street have been banging about anti-Semitism for years and years, John Mann as well. Well, I mean, you could say with, with those MPs that one of the problems they had with Jeremy Corbyn was this issue. So the fact it's resurfaced again because of new evidence of course, they're going to then highlight it again and say, well, we were saying this before and we're going to highlight it again because now here's more proof of our of our argument. So I think in that sense, it's correct, but not because they've suddenly discovered the issue. Like you say, people like Streeting have been campaigning on it for a long time. Let's move on. Uh, so a year ago, Theresa May went for a walking holiday in Wales and we know what happened next. She ruined our bloody summer. Anyway, this week the PM uh, went to great pains to reassure MPs and the country that despite taking the same holiday this year, she would not be making the same decision. She goes into the Easter break on a high, having secured a solid international response to the Salisbury poisoning and managed to secure the terms of a transition deal which, while giving away all our red lines, has not seen a major backlash from Brexiteers. But there is one issue which might cause some trouble for me, and that is the conduct of her political secretary, Stephen Parkinson. Here is Angela Eagle in the Commons. Given that your political secretary, Stephen Parkinson, was the person that's responsible for outing the vote leave whistleblower using number 10 paper and documents, what are you, Prime Minister, going to do? You should sack him. No, I'm sorry, that is not what I should be doing. And the, uh, my political secretary does a very good job as, as uh, my political secretary. Uh, and as I have said, uh, any statements that have been made were personal statements. This, she stands by, as you heard there, stands by Stephen Parkinson. She says that just because the statement which outed this guy as, as having been in a relationship with him came from Downing Street, it was a personal statement. Um, 
I mean, is that going to wash? It feels like the kind of momentum has fallen out of this a little bit. I thought yeah. this would be a bigger story than it was. I, I think one of the reasons it might not have been a bigger story is that because Stephen Parkinson, you know, he outed someone who had been his partner. So Parkinson himself is gay. So I think if it had been Downing Street, a Downing Street aide who had outed someone and they weren't, and it wasn't, there wasn't a kind of a personal relationship there, that I think that would have been a lot worse. But it doesn't take away from how um, somebody must feel. I mean, to have the um, the job of out, you know, outing yourself taken away from you would be incredibly painful. And it happens to a lot of people and that must stick with you a long time. And also, there's been this kind of backlash I've seen of people saying, oh, well, you know, he was out in Westminster. People knew he had a boyfriend. He was at parties, you know, pride parties. But that the entire point is that he felt safe in Downing Street. He felt safe in Westminster about being openly gay. Well, he didn't feel safe in the rest of his life. And now to also have find that that was a mistake, that he wasn't safe there either, must have been really, really crushing. And to have to, you know tell some of your family, you know, to hide and tell your mum when you didn't want to tell her yet. Um, you know, coming out isn't just an easy thing still. It's not just an emotional thing. It can be a matter of life and death and you can fear for your physical safety. So I'm surprised in a sense that not more to be made of it, but I think the reason is perhaps because it wasn't, to be honest, uh, a random Downing Street aide that outed him because of the, the personal connection. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that actually <clears throat> number 10 insists very, very strongly, that all they were doing, they didn't have any role mm. in this so-called outing, it be, it, other than passing on a referring journalist to Stephen Parkinson's private statement, which he'd put on a blog by Dominic Cummings, a former government aide. Um, and that basically, it seems like just one advisor blundered in, in real time in actually giving it to the New York Times. I think the only outlet was the New York Times that asked, can we, can we get a uh, statement? Channel 4 as well. Well, okay, um, and um, but no, no one else was given that as a quote number ten statement. In, but all they were doing was trying to refer to a personal statement. And Ned's right, you know, it, ultimately it's about a relationship between two people that just went messy. And there, obviously, Stephen Parkinson felt as though somehow he was legitimate in doing this because not because. Uh, we still don't know if he, if he's, he regrets the outing. He probably does. I'm sure he does. Uh, as Ned says, it's quite a big deal. But he was obviously so panicked by the whole maelstrom of Cambridge Analytica, you know, rumours flying around about how much the government knew about this so-called data hacking, um, that he panicked into, into saying, well, actually, um, you know, th th the only reason I actually was telling Sammy any of this stuff is because we're in a relationship. And so he knew. So it was almost as if it was inadvertent. And I think mm. sometimes you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, but moving back to Theresa May generally, I mean, if you'd have said to her six months ago, you know, you'd get a transition deal where you give all your red lines, but guess what? You're still in post. You know, you managed to secure a fantastic international response to a rogue state attack on your own soil. I went, I was, she came and spoke to Tory MPs this week at the 1922 meeting and they were coming out all beaming. They were loving it. There was none of the, they weren't looking down at their shoes. They wanted to, to make sure the journalists knew that she was very good and they laughed at her as she told rubbish jokes and all that kind of nonsense. You know, very different to the one that she went to after the election when she yeah. said, I'm here, here as long as you want me. I mean, she's had a 
pretty good couple of weeks, right? She certainly has. She's, she's had her best fortnight since that snap election <coughs> disaster, in my opinion. And Jeremy Corbyn has had his worst fortnight since then. And I think the two are very much related. You know, a lot of those Tory MPs wouldn't be cock-a-hoop if, the, if it wasn't Jeremy Corbyn as the Labour leader, let's not forget. You know, if it was a, a different kind of Labour leader who had them on the ropes over, over Russia by being, you know, on their side, but being probing about other things and had captured the tone in a different way. If the, you, you didn't have any of the anti-Semitism, if Labour was somehow more ahead in the polls, then I think things would be slightly different than the 1922 committee. Um, you know, and if Labour was also trying to tear the government apart more on Brexit. So the, it's, it's all often a dynamic thing, politics. It can't be in isolation how well May's doing. It's related to how badly Corbyn's been doing. And I suppose this time weeks. last year we'd have been having exactly the same conversation. May's going off moves to holidays. She's going to Wales, doing great. Well, she should probably call a snap election, we might have said, because she's doing so well in the polls. Please well, that was the joke last uh, last yeah. week, wasn't it? That actually, don't. yeah. Why doesn't she call another election now? Please don't, please don't. Theresa, for the love of really, love an election. Theresa, love an election. Listen, I know she's just, I know she's walking in Wales right now, listening to this next to Philip. Yeah, probably got joint headphones, having a laugh. Probably thinking, when's the quiz coming? Don't worry, it's coming in a minute. Oh, great, Theresa. Please don't. I've no, got... I want you to do it. Call yeah. an election. I want. No, one. I've got. Look, I've got a book to write. Who could not like elections? Elections are so great yeah. because they're not polls. I hate polls. Polls are kind of don't tell you really anything. Opinion polls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um let's move on to the on. <laughs> move on to the quiz, shall we? Uh yes, Expelliarmus. Yeah, that was a pun and a half. Yeah. Russia it's a quiz about Russia. It's a quiz about which countries have expelled diplomats. Oh. Ned. All right. Name all 28. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. I'm going to give you the name of a country, or just a country, uh, and then you're going to tell me whether it's expelled <laughs> any diplomats or not. All right. On behalf, you know, because of what happened in Salisbury. Cool. Simple. Yeah, yeah. If they've that. expelled someone, get out of my pub. <laughs> Why is it a pub? I don't know. If they haven't, please don't go. All right. They're not related, those things. No. That is truly awful. I know. I was, I was in a rush. Uh, let's go with Latvia. Has Latvia expelled... Any Russian diplomats? Mr. Paul War. That's a really good one because you'd assume they had because all the, well, the Lithuania certainly did. Um, I'm going to risk it and say yes, get out of my uh, pub. N- no. I've forgotten what it is. Please don't go. Please don't go. Uh, get out of my pub. They did. Huh? They expelled one diplomat. Uh. Uh, Romania. Did Romania um. give... Some of Putin's oh, I don't, buddies. I'm going to say no. No, but they said, no. get out of my pub. No, they I'm going to say no. I, I said, stay in my pub. They said, uh, get out of my pub. They expelled oh. one diplomat. Oh. Switzerland, the famously aggressive Swiss. <laughs> so we're Probably not. Bloody knows into very, international affairs, aren't they? It's not very Swiss thing to do. Well, no. Does anyone have any spies in Switzerland? Well, I mean, is there a point? <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> please, please don't go. Whatever it is, listening to uh, Prejudice Central. Uh, no, would you reckon? Do you reckon? Please don't go. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Same. I don't think they did. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't check anyone out. See, it wasn't prejudice. It was informed, it was informed guesswork. Um, informed prejudice. Malta. 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 That's right, Paul. Malta, owner of a St George's Cross, hmm. for getting extensively uh, bombed. Yes. Did they expel any diplomats? Did they stand by? Yeah. Us. No. Malta. No, they didn't, because they said they've got so few diplomats in Russia that any response from <laughs> Russia would have effectively terminated diplomatic relations. Right. <laughs> so, fair enough. Um, let's go with Greece. Did the Greeks stand by us? Oh, there's a whole thing where they didn't want to do it. 
but then did they, they do it in the end? They caved the EU pressure. Oh, horrible. Well, they didn't pressure. want economic sanctions, which is slightly different. Yeah, mm. I'm going to say they kicked, they kicked someone out. Ooh. I'm going to say out of my pub. I'll say no. They were riddled with Russian spies. No, they didn't kick any out. They didn't. They did not. I know. I won't forgive them. And finally, um, Moldova. No. They've got to be crawling with Russia. Yeah, but Spanish. they wouldn't, would they? They're a bit too... But uh, they're a bit like Ukraine. They're a bit more independent, bit, aren't they? See? So see? I'm going to say get out of my pub. Get out of my pub. What do you reckon, Ned? No. Uh, get out of my pub. They oh, threw yes. out three. I did terrible at that quiz. Other countries not to throw out. Uh, Bulgaria didn't throw anyone out, but it has recalled its diplomat from... Oh, uh, that'll scare Putin. Uh, Italy's got rid of two. Uh, Estonia one, Finland one. NATO's kicked out like... Tw- 12, 7. Yeah. That seven was the thing that amazed me, that NATO knows it's riddled with Russian <laughs> no, it's like, we were not going like, we to about to stop Russia's expansion, what's but we're going to have lots of about? spies in there. That is weird. Mad really good. Mad I, like, I like New Zealand that wanted to, but couldn't find any. Yeah, that <laughs> like, like, we want to be your great. friends, but... <laughs> that was a highlight of the week. Really, they're just, yeah. not, they're just not showing Compare the Mirka adverts anymore. Yeah. They're just like, that's our, that's our... Yeah, okay, great. Well, in case you've been in the coma, like if you have... You kind of failed to know just it is a year until Brexit, isn't it, Ned? Poor taste, by the yeah. way. Okay. Can I just <laughs> yeah. say? Of course, nothing will change after March 29th next year, thanks to the transition agreement. But we've all decided to mark this anniversary anyway, haven't we, Ned? Yep. At HuffPost UK, we've been running our people's negotiation all week, asking members of the public to give us their views on immigration, future trade policy, and whether there should be a second referendum. We then put these views to Labour MP Chukra Muna and Tory MEP David campbell Bannerman, both of whom will get a vote on the deal. And here's a little clip of them. I wanted to stay in the EU, but like I feel like it's just been happening for so long, and I feel like, let's just get it done and over with. No, no I think it's done dusted. People have spoken, I've said what they wanted, that's it. We've had a referendum, why do it again? You know what I mean? There's no real need for a second one, I wouldn't have thought, so they've made a decision, just stick with it and ride it out, I guess. I think the idea of second or third referendum, what are you going to call it, is, is, is a nonsense, to be honest. I mean, what are you going to ask in a second referendum? Are you going to say, well, you know when we asked you about leaving the EU, did you really mean it? If they are so certain that you're you know, going to get the result that they want, I don't understand what is the objection to actually giving people a vote on the deal. So a year to go to a Brexit, um, people's negotiation, I thought we had some interesting views there. It didn't seem to me that people would actually move on that much from the campaign, with the exception of, I thought, the second referendum. A lot of people don't want a second referendum, even Remainers. They just don't want it. Yeah, I think anecdotally, people, and from watching the videos, people just sort of think, get on with it, we've had one. I, I, I agree. Even, the I people, don't, people, even yeah. people that lost. Yeah, and also, the, the, I was talking to Alan Menon, the, uh, the think tanker, who's a really nice bloke, who uh, uh, chairs the King's College London uh, UK in a Changing Europe um, uh, group and he was pointing out that even in the polls where the Tories look like they want a second referendum some of that is people who want a second referendum to make damn sure they get a choice for no deal <laughs> yeah you know they, yeah, yeah. They, they want it even harder so yeah they, they'll tick a box saying yeah I want a referendum because I want a choice of deal or no yeah. deal thank you very much so it's worth unpicking that um yeah, I mean, anecdotally, it's true. Most people seem to say, look, you know, we've got to live with this. You know, it's a it's a democratic decision. You, the majority rules, you know, that's what, what we do. Um, but that doesn't mean that Theresa May is risking, you know, uh, s- significant possible loss of support in the next few years, in the next year itself, if she gets it wrong. Um, because if she gets it wrong... On a, in either direction, you know, it's a really tricky um, tightrope to walk. Tony Blair made a weird argument today, Thursday, uh, where he said that the Tories 
if the Tories don't, if the Tories let Brexit go ahead, the country will punish them. But if they vote down the deal, the country will love them. Just let us <laughs> right. sink in. His argument is this: he's, uh, he's from the mission that Brexit is always going to be terrible, right? So if you're a Tory MP and you and you vote the deal through, yeah. the country will never forgive you for this. Okay. If you're a Tory MP and you vote the deal down and it goes to a second referendum, the country will love you and they'll they will send you back into power at the next general election. He basically says you can vote the deal down, have a second referendum, and Theresa May can stay in power. I mean. Tony, mm. mate. <laughs> yeah, but he's made the thing about Blair is he's, he's he, he sort of has variations in the same argument. And he, he said earlier this year, in January, in fact, he started the year by saying Corbyn could quote annihilate the Tories if he opposed Brexit. So he's trying to pitch it right then as saying, look, yeah. basically, whoever chooses the, what he wants is going to yeah. do really, really well. You know, that, that's the Tony way, isn't it? I mean, th- th- that's all the consistent thread that is through all those speeches, I think. And let's talk about Labour's position, because obviously Owen Smith uh, was sacked last last week. He, as he told um, Matt Ford, friend of the show, um, last night, he actually was found that he'd been sacked when a journalist texted him saying, so did you jump or were you pushed? Yeah. And he then rang up Corbyn and was like, what's happened? And Corbyn was like, oh, right, yeah. Um, do, you, do you want to stand down? And he was like... Well, you sack me. So like, I don't want to use the word sack, Owen. But <laughs> do you want to stand down? It's like no. Then I'm gonna have to sack you. This is brilliant. Um, is sack probably just being called Owen? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's a great name. Um, I've lost my train of thought. But it was brilliant. Brexit. <laughs> Brexit. Second referendum. And then Emily Thornberry. Tell us about Emily brilliant. Thornberry there, because you were there, weren't you? Um, yeah, she was at the Chatham House Foreign Policy Think Tank, talking about foreign affairs, being very Emily Thornberry, and just casually said, "Oh, the deal that Theresa May will bring back will be really." blah 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 so because it'll be so kind of weak and nothing will change it'll pass Labour's six tests for Brexit so we'll probably vote for it and then she sort of sat back and that was that and, and that, that was a can I just check, is, is that Labour party policy uh, no Has, so she's been sacked is she uh, no oh so sarcasm sarcasm <laughs> it was from me or from yeah, get away with the so, lot and yeah, John McDonnell this morning claimed that it was sarcasm and she didn't really mean it which I'm sorry I know Emily Thornbury does a good line in sarcasm but I watched her you know, say those comments. It, it wasn't just a, oh, I'm annoyed at the press for asking these questions or I'll make up a policy as a joke. It, it, absolutely not. And I the thing is, she's got a really good point. She's absolutely right. If there is, and I suspect there will be, a blah, blah, blah political agreement, a, a blah, blah, blah final deal, which is really uh, ultimately fudge. Uh, because to do anything too specific risks alienating both sides in the debate. So I think she's absolutely right. That's what the government will come up with later this year. And the challenge for Labour is, do you let them get away with that as a way of avoiding a meaningful vote? And I think that's really the point she was trying to make. Um, Now, obviously, what's weird about all this is that sarcasm is deployed by the Kremlin and by Emily Thornberry. <laughs> it's, it's the new political weapon. And also by Boris Johnson. She and Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson of being weak with his words as Foreign Secretary. Well, you're shallow Foreign Secretary, mate. So you <laughs> I know. Stay. But the other thing is that I, I was looking through the um, the five stages of grief last night. Oh. Because... Oh, what's, what's happened, mate? I'll tell you why. Tell because we're a year from Brexit actually yeah. formally starting. And lots of Remainers are depressed. Ned, and so right? I went through this. And I look, the five stages of grief, right, are sure. so... So bang on for Remainers since two years ago. Denial, definitely. Yeah. Anger, definitely. Mm. Bargaining, right? They're trying to plead. Is that where we are now, do you reckon? Then followed by depression and then finally acceptance. Now, what I thought going through that list was also interesting is that that same list can apply to hardline Brexiteers over the transition deal. They're all actually 
denying A that A is going to get screwed over at first. Then they're really angry when the penny dropped. Oh, yeah, we have been screwed over in this. So this is a status quo for the next 21 months. Then now they're beginning to bargain their way out of it. And then they're slowly they're getting a bit depressed. And most of them now finally accept it. It's quite a useful tool, the five stages of grief. It oh, breaks it when out the, of the hole. When the depression bits happen, can I like have that week off or something? I don't <laughs> want to go through that when I read your morning emails, Paul. That's five list. Um, thank you for seeing everyone. Um, By the way, can I just say... Yeah. How rubbish your quiz is does not <laughs> does not affect the popularity of this podcast. Someone called Matthew McGregor, who's a great bloke, who actually was a former data expert for for Ed Miliband. I, he, I, he texted me last week and saying, you know, I think your podcast is the best political podcast on the market. Now that's praise indeed Central from someone who loves America, yeah. spent a lot of time listening to American podcasts. He said, and I said, oh my god, that's going to go to Owen's head. He said, don't worry, the the, <laughs> the quiz is crap. Unbelievable. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Can also say that <laughs> the quiz is rubbish. What are you talking about? I, I think you need people, to up your game. I get emails from upwards of two people what, telling me the quiz is good. Is I it the same person every up week? Your Doesn't game. Matter. Right, listener. Is it your mum? No, she hates, she hates this rubbish. Listener, listen. Can we to have me. a quiz on how bad the quiz is? L- no, listener. Right, I want hashtag. Okay, right. We're going to put it to you now because we're not going to do this next week. Oh, we're going to have a week. We're having weeks two off. weeks I'm off. Two weeks off, right? In th- you've got two weeks to save the quiz, right? <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> you have, not hashtag them. commons people yes or commons people no, right? Comment on iTunes, quiz, yes, send me emails, no, I'll give you surely. Paul's number later on, you can ring him up, and then I just want that. Now, before we go, Kate's not here, sadly, so I've got to ask you, Paul, because Kate would if you're here, what's your favourite Easter egg? You know what, I've been on a sugar fast since January, so I'm dying to binge on Easter eggs. So Paul's it, about to go into a diabetic coma, <laughs> everyone. I am. I'm going to go really more hyper than a kid on Ritalin, I can tell you. But, I'm not, I hate cream eggs. What really? I really? What? Yeah, you hate cream eggs? I hate eggs? cream eggs with a passion. What? But, but what I really, really like are the Malteser Easter eggs. The Malteser Oh, God. That's everything that's wrong with Britain. Honestly, right there. <laughs> Remember, hashtag commons people's yes, hashtag commons people's no, and save the quiz. <laughs> See you after we say wrong. Goodbye. Bye.